0: Consider the carrot. Humans have cultivated carrots for thousands of years, but many agricultural historians believe the carrots of antiquity were mostly white, closer in physical resemblance to the humble parsnip. As the story goes, ancient farmers stumbled on colourful carrots by accident, and quite liked them. So over the centuries, orange carrots emerged, sweeter and less bitter than their wild counterparts, more visually pleasing, and coincidentally, rich in beta-carotenes and vitamin A, much better for us than the carrots of old. So goes the process of selective breeding, making a conscious choice about which plants or animals will reproduce so you can encourage certain traits. Of course, back in the day, this process took time, hundreds of years in many cases. But these days, it doesn't have to.
1: Gene editing, genetic modification. GMO, gene editing.
0: Gene editing is one of the most controversial technological developments of the modern age. Through modifying the genes of organisms which have been sequenced, we can change fundamental characteristics of certain plants and organisms. We can create amazing things. To develop different strains of crops which will produce higher yields and be more resistant to climate change. So-called genetically modified organisms and the development of new medicines. Researchers believe they have found a way to add critical nutrients to rice, but those changes tap directly into concerns over genetically modified food. But there are understandably objections. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That we're at the top of a steep slope, which might lead to a kind of tech led modern day eugenics. That we're playing God, seizing too much power over the natural world without properly understanding our responsibilities. In Aotearoa, genetic modification is tightly regulated and has been for decades. But a new report from the Productivity Commission is calling for a full regulatory review of our policies in this space. I'm Emile Donovan, and today on The Detail, the potential and pitfalls of gene editing, and where we go to next. Before we get into it, some Definitions. For the purposes of this podcast, we're going to be talking about genetic modification and gene editing under the same umbrella, even though some people see those as completely distinct. In really broad brush terms, genetic modification involves inserting DNA into an organism from an outside source. For example, scientists in Uganda use genetic modification to insert a gene from a type of capsicum into bananas to help the bananas to be more resistant to a destructive bacterium, which the capsicum is immune to. Gene editing, on the other hand, alters the genetic makeup of an organism whose genome has been sequenced. For example, American researchers modified a gene inside white button mushrooms to stop them producing an enzyme that turns the mushrooms brown over time. Both genetic modification and gene editing alter the genetic makeup of an organism, but genetic modification introduces something from outside and gene editing changes something from within.
1: This desire to change the way we develop things or the way we grow things is not anything
0: new. Dr Ganesh Nana is the Productivity Commissioner.
1: And in the past we've done it through selective breeding I suppose you'd call it in terms of who uh, or what we've tried to breed or grow using our knowledge, whether it be knowledge on the farm or knowledge in the laboratory. And now with the uh, some would call it progress or some would call it development of new techniques. We've now gone into this, uh, I, I suppose, what's broadly called genetic modification. But there are a whole lot of different types of genetic modification, I suppose you'd call it, that have developed over time. I'm
0: glad that you called to mind selective breeding there because genetic modification and, and specifically gene editing in, in the case of if we're thinking about food, for example. If we think of selective breeding as you know, humans deciding which specimens of plant or or animal reproduce in order to encourage certain features it's a similar end that it desires to to get to but it's done in a lab rather than over a period of, of hundreds of years the advantage being that you can do it very quickly rather than it taking generations for that to happen is that a relatively fair broad summary do you think
1: I th- I I would think so, and I and I I'm I'm sure the 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 experts within the within the groups would probably take a little bit of umbrage at us simplifying it that mm. much. But I, I think that's a fair way of putting it for 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 people like you and me to understand the non-experts in this area, and and we've always tried to develop better foods, for example, or animals that would breed better for particular characteristics. And and I think this is one of the the genetic modification regulations. One of the downsides of the regulations that we've adopted or were adopted 20 years ago was it was very much designed to control the way we do things in terms of the process of modification, rather than looking at the outcomes that we were trying to achieve Mm -hmm. and where the outcomes were in terms of achieving healthier foods or better foods in a more efficient way or foods with different characteristics. Rather than looking at those outputs, we were looking at how it was created. And so it was very much created in a petri dish. That's where we regulated rather than the outcome.
0: Aotearoa has some of the most stringent laws and regulations around genetic modification in the world. The Hazardous Substances and New Organisms Act of 1996 dictates what you can do in terms of researching and releasing any living thing that doesn't already exist in New Zealand. And partly because we have such an isolated and unique and fragile ecosystem, it is naturally very strict. There was also a Royal Commission specifically into genetic modification in the year 2000. The Commission reported back in 2001 and made a bunch of recommendations which form the backbone of our policies around this now. Basically, in order to conduct, research or import genetically modified products, you need to get approval from the Environmental Protection Agency, which can be a long and costly process.
1: Effectively, the end result is that we have taken a very cautious approach in terms of genetic modification and the, the reducing the harm or reducing the potential risks associated with genetic modification. So recognising at the time that there were significant costs or unknowns involved if we went down a route that allowed genetic modification. So we've taken a, a low-risk approach And in that sense, it's very much from the process element. So the process of genetic modification is strictly regulated. So anything that's done in a Petri dish is strictly regulated. But that has allowed, for want of a word, products that do have a form of genetic modification in their chain of development, that has allowed those things into the country through import. But we are not allowed to do that in-house within uh, New Zealand. So we accept the technology that may be coming in across the border, but we're not allowed to progress that technology within our own borders. And I think that's the, that's the difference that, or the, the curious contradiction, I would say, that I think we need to get over or, or clarify because we have foods that are available in New Zealand that are imported, you know, varieties of soya beans and rice and corn and indeed potatoes that are, strictly speaking, are not genetically modified but will have some form of gene editing happening through their development and then the, uh, abroad and then imported into New Zealand. And I think that's the, it, it becomes very technical but it's that level of detail that I think we need to be aware of as consumers but we also need to be aware of as producers in terms of developing the the pathway forward into the future
0: I I just want to sort of root New Zealand's regulations in in sort of a real-world example. One of the applications of of genetic modification and gene editing might be, for example, growing grasses that have lower emissions for the animals that eat those grasses. Now, New Zealand has a lot of agricultural uh, emissions. This is a big problem for Mm us. Is it your understanding that while New Zealand, after a process, might be able to import gene edited low emission grasses, we could not develop them ourselves here?
1: Exactly. And, and so, while the concept of this has been developed within Aotearoa New Zealand, the trials for these sorts of grasses have to be done offshore unless we apply for permissions, but the trials can be done offshore. And then it's a question of whether we're allowed to if the trials are successful or not, then it's a question of what hurdles we might need to jump over to use those uh, grasses within New Zealand. And so that and so that's the one of the I, I suppose where the regular, regulations aren't as clear as they should be. Mm. Um, and and if we are not allowed to you know if, if the innovations are here, but we have to do the trials offshore, what are we missing out on uh, here in Aotearoa? And, and, and indeed, what are the innovations that we are inhibiting uh, because um, the, 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 the scientists, the entrepreneurs, uh, just feel like it's too hard to innovate here and they basically take their IP and take their innovations offshore.
0: The thing is, we are in the future now. Our laws around genetic modification were formulated a long time ago, and things have moved on a lot since then. Back in 2002, there was an episode of The Simpsons looking at the issue of genetically modified food. This is just after we, Aotearoa, formulated our regulations around GMOs.
1: We're eating genetically modified vegetables. Look how big
0: they are. This corn doesn't look so big. That's
1: baby corn.
2: Mom, my potato is eating a carrot.
1: I think the recommendation in terms of our work at the Productivity Commission is, is to recognise that the world has moved on or the, the technology has moved on, that frankenfoods-type world is not something that we are talking about here. And, and and if we were, I think most of us would be saying that that's a, an element of where regulations are are appropriate and required. But we're past that and we're talking about Actually, and in, in, in this is very much from a layperson's perspective, we're talking about gene editing where we're not actually mixing genetic materials. We're actually changing the the genetic makeup of a particular uh, species, and it is. And I suppose it's similar to, I would say, what we've done in the past in terms of trying to encourage or manipulate the good characteristics of an organization and somehow reduce or remove the the bad characteristics to provide us with food that is good, or or indeed animals or other plant material that is good. Uh, And and I think that's where we have to recognize that the technology has overtaken the regulations that we've got in place at the moment.
0: So, What sorts of stuff can we do with genetic modification and gene editing these days?
1: One of the key things is much more productive use of land in terms of the food that they're producing, whether it be the rice or the soybeans or those sorts of things. Now
0: Kenya has pioneered development of a genetically modified cassava variety that is drought resistant, high yielding and withstands pests.
1: Vitamin A deficiency is a pervasive and silent killer of malnourished children and pregnant mothers in the third world. The human body converts beta-carotene into vitamin A.
2: We are taking some aspects from
1: the corn plant, which has beta-carotene, and transferring those traits into rice. But also these opportunities around developing new pastures and new grasses that may help us meet or reduce the climate emissions in terms of the atmosphere, but also in terms of more innovative use of disease-resistant crops in terms Mm. of the way we try and grow things. And we're currently using herbicides and pesticides. We may be able to adopt genetically modified, for want of a better word, crops that would not require those chemical herbicides and pesticides. There is also health uh, treatments, novel health treatments that may be open up to us if we are interested in that avenue as well in terms of more innovative health treatments, mRNA vaccines is one of the ones that was topical mm. that were available abroad in terms of uh, developing vaccines through these new gene editing processes. So it's and it, So it's not just foods, it is potential benefits in terms of environment, in terms of health and indeed a response to some of the challenges that we face as climate change. And what we're calling for is another conversation that takes on board those risks and those benefits so that we can regulate appropriately. You know, this is not a critique of the regulations that we had 20 years ago. It is a it is a let's review them and let's make sure that they're appropriate for the next 20 years and so on.
0: What are you? What are your personal concerns about it? it, it Emphasising that these are these are yours, Ganesh Nana's, rather than the productivity commissions. But you know, just just sort of spitball. I'm curious well, about I, this.
1: I, I would share, um, and, and I'm relatively risk averse, so I'd be open about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm past the Frankenfoods argument. You know, while I might have been one in that camp a long time ago, now I'm past that. I recognise, you know, that's old world argument. But I do have, I, I suppose, concerns about want to the sanctity of life mm. uh and so i'm yeah you know, I, I suppose it's that slippery slope argument that some people where do we draw the line yeah. you know i worry about if we're interfering with genetic makeup uh where do we draw the line and i think that's where you know for me the advantages of a strong regulation are important so we need to make sure that we do draw the line carefully and properly and so we don't go down that avenue that that impinges on be the, the sanctity of life
0: it's really interesting to hear to hear you say that because one of the big concerns, particularly from Māori stakeholders here, sort of echoes that idea of what you're talking about, you know, not messing too much with the, the sacredness of something's life force. In te ao Māori, we're talking about, you know, something's Māori or something's Whakapapa. Absolutely. I guess another way of, of thinking about it, maybe for people who are dubious about that, is the idea of exerting too much influence over the natural world without necessarily understanding what the implications of what you're
1: doing might might lead to? Absolutely and and I think that's where I think we have to be aware and acknowledge that different people and different groups come at this from different perspectives and I acknowledge that openly but there are there are also expert advice that we need to take on board and the science and recognise that we as a people are part of the natural world um, and and we have impacted the natural world in the past, and we continue to do so into and in, and in into the future. We are. Uh... Extremely powerful, and when and openly, we've made a bit of a mess of some elements in the past in terms of our interactions with the natural world. I think we need to make sure that in the future, we are well placed to, I, I suppose, not only be not only interact but to see ourselves as part of that natural world and be able to contribute positively.
0: Maui Hudson is an associate professor at the University of Waikato. In 2019, he led a team of researchers examining indigenous perspectives towards gene editing in Aotearoa.
2: It's not really whether you accept the technology. It's like how do you manage the use of it? Hmm. A little bit like the, you know the way we think about how do we manage you know appropriate use of firearms. You know, there's some uses which are okay, I and mean, there's a whole lot of uses which aren't. So we're trying to manage how that technology is supporting or adding value to the community or not. And that's what we found in our discussions with Māori groups as well. There's a whole range of different values that people have expressed in the past and you know, in relation to genetic modification, things around whakapapa, what's the effect on Māori, is there a tapu element to it? Mm. And as, as our conversations became sort of deeper around these spaces, it was clear that depending on the sort of use, it might be something that enhances that value. But then there were other uses that would diminish it. That doesn't create a space where um, it just means that scientists have, you know, the carte blanche ability to just do something and then tell us, oh no, that's fine in relation to your whakapapa. And I think that that element of control in relation to how things get used was real it was a really significant factor in terms of across a whole variety of places of whether the Māori participants were more open to gene editing as a tool that might provide some sort of positive outcome.
0: So really what, you, what, you, what you're talking about really is being involved in the decision-making process and having your worldview taken on board, right? Yeah, absolutely.
2: And, and I think one of the things that was interesting, you know, even in the survey as well, it wasn't just Māori that thought that these were important ideas. Yeah. So we asked, you know, we asked people, whether they thought that um, these Maori values were relevant in the context of this conversation, and there was, um, you know, there was considerable support even from non-Maori that that they be a part of it. I think there's a, a you know, when if you can sort of think about, you know, some of these um, some of these ideas as really framing spaces around which, you know, a conversation is necessary. And if you think about kaitiakitanga, you know, there's it's not really, there's an overlap between the way we would use that term and think about it and other people would start talking about sustainability yeah. and unintended consequences and some of these other, you know, other sorts of language. I think the thing that came out of, uh, out of these sort of conversations that we had is that people people were open to the use of these technologies in the future, but they wanted them to be in a managed way. And and I think that then links into this issue that's arisen from the Productivity Commission report around what is the new form of regulation for the future. Mm. And one of the issues which is, I think, emerges not just around um, the sort of genetic modification space, but a lot of uh, sort of new technology areas is that the technology is advancing so quickly some of the ways in which we traditionally regulate those things are are always lagging and they don't have the flexibility particularly if they're sort of based around legislation they don't have the flexibility to respond to that change.
0: Do you think that our regulations regarding genetic modification do need to shift a bit and do you have suggestions as to how that might look going into the future?
2: Yeah, I um, I do think they do need to change. You know, any sort of gene editing becomes subject to um, the regulations around genetic modifications, and um, that creates a level of bureaucracy that's not required for all of the contexts. So I definitely wouldn't remove it because I think you know there's there's a lot of places where you do want that level of rigor and that level of assessment to to go into it. The things that we've been thinking about, and this is you know this is really just um, kind of early thinking sure. based on what we've heard from these surveys and this work around people wanting something that will enable the technology to be used, but only in the places which they agree. And that ends up being the, the tricky bit around
1: it. How do you create through the
2: legislation that sort of flexibility?
1: We actually have to be open to the, you know, to the experimentation. Some of this has risks. We, we, we've actually got to get an idea of just how big those benefits are but also how big those costs are and whereabouts are we as a community in terms of our value set as well that um, we are comfortable in in terms of regulating because let's not forget um, and, and science is not valueless um, there are values involved in all of this mm. and, and we shouldn't be reluctant to put those in there I mean, these are there's a sense that we should be making this call on a straight, you know, benefit cost ratio, but there's, Mm -hmm. and while I'm an economist, I do recognize that there are values that we um, bring to the table all of us, uh, and, I, and I, think, well, I don't think we should be reluctant to bring to those times. What we're after is, and, and that's what we recommend, let's have a grown-up conversation about mm. this rather than staying in, you know, all the cabs staying in their trenches and lobbying, um, whatever it is, tweets at each other at, <laughs> at, at, at 40 paces or whatever might be the phrase.
0: That's it for today. I'm Emile Donovan. The detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansel and produced by Sarah Robson. And thanks to Ganesh Nana and Maui Hudson. Matewa.